August 27, 1947. Dear Mama, Papa told us tonight is the last night before we get to Rashid Uncle's. After we ate our mangoes, he handed us each a piece of Kaju Katali. I turned the diamond-shaped candy over and over in my filthy hand. Why had he kept this from us? I wanted to throw it at him. What else was he holding on to? But my mouth watered at the thought of biting into it, enjoying the second of happiness it would give me. So I popped it into my mouth and held it there, letting it dissolve on my tongue. I watched Ami, Ami eat his. He had decided to nibble on it like a tiny mouse. Our eyes met as we chewed. We didn't smile and we didn't speak. Was he thinking the same thing about Papa? Our trip to Rashid Uncle is taking a day longer because Daddy needs to go slow. Papa, Ami and I take turns helping her walk as she leans on us, her papery arm resting across our shoulders, her bones feeling no heavier than a bird's. She finally ate some mango and has been drinking water, but she needs to rest often. We will get to Rashid Uncle's or we won't. Dottie will get better or she won't. We will get to our new home or we won't. Love, Nisha. August 30th, 1947. Dear Mama, I'm sorry I couldn't write the last two nights, but now I can, lying here in an actual bed. Mama, why didn't Papa tell us about Rashid Uncle? It all makes more sense now, and yet it is only more confusing. It was almost dusk when we finally walked close to where Papa said Rashid Uncle lived. He said we were several miles outside the city of Umarkot. We passed through a village and across some dusty farmland. After several minutes in the low light, I could see a cluster of homes, fairly large in size, all white. Papa turned to us and said, this was the home your mother grew up in. Ami and I quickly looked at each other. Even though I had known it before, actually standing in front of your house was like having the wind knocked out of me. I could barely breathe. Papa said we should sit behind some bushes and wait until dark. Then Papa would go see Rashid Uncle and make sure it was safe. He told us he didn't want anyone to see us go into the house. If a person comes up to you, he whispered, looking harshly at Ami, tell them your grandmother needs to rest. Don't say more or less, but in the dark, I don't think you'll be noticed. Many of these houses are empty now. Ami nodded. When I whistle once, Papa continued, then you come quietly and quickly and run right in that one. He pointed to a house in the middle of the cluster. Don't talk and don't take off your packs. Be ready at any moment. Ami and I glanced at each other. Understand? Papa whispered. Yes, Papa, Ami and I whispered back. We wait until nightfall and then Papa walked to the door. There was a full moon and a cloudless sky. The air smelled of burning wood. I could see Papa knock and his tapping sound drifted out into the night, followed by the whine of a hinge from the opening door. I could hear the murmur of voices and then the door closed. We sat down holding our packs. Dottie lay against hers, propping her head up. I stared toward the direction of the door. A part of me hoped you'd be inside. Could you have been hiding there all along? Ami started to play with the thin frayed leather on his sandals. I elbowed him and pointed through the bush to keep him focused on the task. We waited and waited. I heard a rustling and my body froze. But when I turned, nothing was there. Did you hear something? I whispered to Ami. Yes, Ami said. We waited again, very still. The rustling grew. We need to move, Ami whispered, now. We helped Dottie up and moved farther away from the bush, bushes toward a dirt road we could see dimly outlined in the moonlight. We shouldn't go too far, whispered Dottie. We both held her by an arm, helping her walk faster. The rustling had formed into footsteps, rushing closer and closer. Someone grabbed my shoulder. I screamed. The sound burst painfully from me like blood. The person, a man, I could tell from the size of his hand, covered my mouth and held a knife up to my throat. The metal felt strangely smooth and warm. Dottie started crying. 
You killed my family, he spoke in my ear through gritted teeth. I couldn't see him, only hear him, smell the scent of old sweat and dirt and sour breath. I could hear my breathing echoing in my ears, the side of the knife pressed harder. Dottie sank into the ground on her knees, her head bending toward our feet. I wasn't scared, only numb, and felt as if I was floating upward toward the sky. Please, we didn't kill anyone, Ami kept yelling over and over, spit flying out of his mouth. Dottie was bending herself at his feet, praying. I stood absolutely still, trying to hold my neck back from the blade's edge. I wondered if I had stopped breathing, but somehow I kept on standing. The man's hands shook. My children, my wife, they are gone, he said, his voice breaking. You killed them. You, you all killed them. They were only trying to get water and you killed them. No, sir, please. We were just walking to the border. My grandmother needed to rest. We didn't do anything to your family, Ami said as loud as he said, as loud as he could. We'll give you food, water, anything you want. Then I heard the hinge and Papa's whistle. We were all silent. He whistled again. The man pressed the flat side of the knife harder against my neck. I beg you. She's an innocent child, Dottie called out, her hands pressed together. The man trembled, the knife shaking against me. My family is dead and no one is innocent. My father and uncle are coming, Ami said in a lower voice. They have guns. I heard footsteps coming from the hut. Let her go, I heard Papa call in a voice so strong and mighty, I wondered if it was even Papa. He has a gun, Ami said again, and I wished he really did. The man's hand shook so much, he dropped his knife and let go of me. I broke away and ran toward Papa, holding my neck. Ami and Dottie clustered around Papa, too. There was no uncle. It doesn't matter if you shoot me. End my suffering, I beg you, the man said, and I fell to his, and fell to his knees. I finally took a good look at him. He was a small man, his ankles no wider than Ami's. His hair was matted with dust and dirt. I could see dry blood on the sleeve of his kurta. Hindus killed my family, he sobbed into his hands, his face pressed against them in the dirt, sliced their throats as I watched, and then I escaped, but I should have let him kill me too. He wore a topi, as, so I knew he was Muslim. But how did I know, how did he know we were Hindu? When we were in Mirpakas, it was easier to tell who was who, but out here, we all look the same in our dirty clothes. Some of the Muslim men have lost their topis, Many people just drape whatever they can find over their heads to protect them from the sun. We grabbed on to Papa. I still felt so numb, not crying, not angry. It was so strange, Mama. Papa shrugged us off gently and moved forward toward the man. Leave him alone, Dottie cried out. He's dangerous. Papa didn't listen to Dottie and went over cautiously to the man. He picked up the man's knife and Topi, had, and Topi that had fallen off. He put his hand on his shoulder and held his belongings toward him. The man looked up frightened. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, Papa said. The man got up slowly and dusted himself off. He kept his head down as he looked, as he took his topian knife. Then he turned and ran off into the darkness. Papa had said those words before. They were Ganji's words. Now I knew what they meant. So a Hindu family kills a Muslim family who kills a Hindu family who kills a Muslim family. It would never end unless someone ended it. But who was going to do that? We all moved forward, trying to see the path in the blue light. We stumbled a few times. Ami and Papa held Dottie up. I don't even know what kept me going. I remember walking through the doorway. As soon as I was inside the house, I couldn't see anymore. The tears, the horrible shaking, the fear all coming out. I couldn't breathe right and the room spun. Papa told me to put my head between my knees. That's all I remember. Love, Nisha. August 31st, 1947. Dear Mama, when I woke up, I was lying on a bed, a real bed with a pattern blanket. I thought for a moment we were back in our house. 
Ami and Papa were hovering over me. It was strange to be inside. Then I remembered. This was your home, Mama. There was also a new person staring at me, standing by a doorway. I looked back at him. He wasn't too tall. He wore a topi on his head and a tan kurta. He dressed like Kazi, but his face was not like Kazi's at all. Something was wrong with it. He stood out of the light of the two candles burning on the table and I couldn't quite see, but his lip was raised up in the middle, exposing his gum and a few crooked teeth. His lip seemed like it was connected to the bottom of his nose. Back in Mirpakas, a dried fruit vendor at the market had always worn a scarf around his mouth and nose. And Papa said it's because he had a cleft palate and showed me in his medical book what it was. Some people are born with it, Papa said, and most people could never afford the surgery to fix it. Sometimes hospitals helped if the person couldn't eat or swallow. There was also a girl in my school, Mital. She, did, she didn't wear a scarf over her face. Her lip went up in the middle and touched her nose. She never spoke, like me. I don't know if it was because she couldn't or didn't want to. I suppose she could eat because then she would have had the surgery. I never saw her doing those so. doing so, though. I would try to look at her for more than a second, but I always turned away. I wanted to not care. I wanted to be her friend because she didn't have any. I only had Sabine, who I wasn't even sure was a real friend because I never spoke to her. But it was too hard to look at Mital. I'm so ashamed when I think about it, which is why I usually don't. Did you have trouble looking at Rashid, Uncle Mama? Were you a coward like me? I'm sure you were not. This is Rashid, Uncle. He can't speak, only write, Papa said in his doctor voice. Rashid, Uncle nodded at me. Can you stand? Papa asked. I started to move. My neck hurt and it all flooded back to me. The memory like water filling an empty space. I remembered the man, his blade pressed to my neck. Ami yelling. Papa arriving just in time and coming here. I stood and looked around the airy room with a colorful woven carpet on the floor and a carved chest of drawers that reminded me of my own. And I felt the sting of the memory. There was another bed on the opposite wall. Dottie lay there asleep, her chest rising and falling slowly. I started to walk, my curiosity taking over, and Papa followed me. I stepped carefully into the hallway and passed another open door. I looked in and saw a similar room, but smaller, with one bed along the window and another along the opposite wall. I peered into the third room. It had a large bed, a detailed tapestry hanging on the wall, a carpet, and a chest of drawers. I also saw an easel in the corner with a blank canvas on it. I thought it must be Rashid Uncle's room. I walked under an archway to a formal sitting room with a long couch, several wooden chairs, embroidered pillows, and a low-carved table in the middle. Paintings also hung on the walls. One was of a blue ocean against an even bluer sky in the first room. Another pictured a vase of flowers. I also saw a painting of a beautiful woman sitting cross-legged on the grass under a tree. It was you, Mama. I just know it. In the dining room sat a table with six chairs and a heavy china cabinet with glass doors. A porcelain vase of pink and purple flowers stood in the center of the table, just like the painting. It was such a lovely place. I turned, thinking Papa was right behind me, and found myself looking at Rashid Uncle's face. That's when I noticed his eyes. They look just like the picture of you, even more than Ami's do. Maybe there's a reason for all this. I know this is a terrible thought, but if we never had to leave, we wouldn't have come here and had a chance to see Rashid Uncle's eyes in your eyes, your eyes alive. I quickly looked away. You can wash over there, Papa pointed toward a doorway in the back of the kitchen. I scrubbed my hands, face, and neck over the metal basin. I would need a full bath later to peel the layers of grime away, but it was so nice to see the skin on my hands not caked with dirt. How do you feel? Papa asked after I was done. Okay, I said in a small, scratchy voice. I saw one more painting in the kitchen. It was of Rashid Uncle himself, his face. I walked closer and studied the painting, his strange, upturned mouth, 
like an invisible string pull, pulled his top lip up from the middle. The shock of pink gum showing, the lopsided teeth, one almost on top of another, his flat nose. It was easier to look at the picture than the real Rashid uncle. I can't believe he paints. Did you teach him or did he teach you? Nisha, come, Papa said sternly. I jumped, startled, and turned away from the painting. I followed him to the back of the house to check on Dottie, her pale face turning, turned up to the ceiling, breathing weakly. He bent down toward Dottie and touched her arm. She opened her eyes and nodded, then closed her eyes again. Papa headed to the kitchen. Ami had stayed with Dottie the entire time I walked through the house. Are you okay? He asked. I think so, I said. I thought, I thought he was going to kill you, Ami said, his bottom lip trembling slightly. His eyes looked glassy. Papa was always going to come, I said, touching his hand and quickly shifted my gaze back to Dottie, trying to be a little brave for Ami since he was so brave when we didn't have water. But I thought that he was going to kill me too. The man could have easily slipped my throat and in a minute I would have been dead. There was nothing Papa could have done. There was something about having it happen that made me less scared instead of more scared. I don't know why. He was such a sad and frightened man. The way his hand shook. Why had his family been killed? Why would anyone do that? Do people who kill start out like me? Or are they a different kind of human? It's strange that Rashid uncle lives in this big house all alone. Did you see the paintings? Ami pumped his, his head up and down and grinned. I guess that's why I can draw. Then his face grew serious again. Do you think Dadi is going to die? No, I whispered back harshly. Can't you see she's just tired? But I was thinking it too. I'm going to ask Papa, Ami said, his eyes bright and searching. I grabbed his arm to stop him, but he slipped away from me and marched towards Papa and Rashid Uncle. I followed him down the long hallway through the sitting room and dining room and into the kitchen. Papa stopped talking and both looked at Ami. Ami gave Rashid Uncle one of his big open smiles and my heart almost exploded. Ami has this way of smiling that makes you believe the world is a good place for at least that second. I feel differently about Ami now. I can't explain it. It's like he died and came back to life. I always like to smile, but it always but it makes me so happy now, like the first time I'm really seeing it. And what I do without Ami? He's my voice. He asks the questions I can't. Yes, Papa said. Ami's smile disappeared. Is Daddy going to die? Papa's eyes stayed on Ami. I won't let her die, he said. And then he left to check on her. But something about the stiff way Papa spoke made my stomach hurt. I reminded myself that Papa was a doctor. He had powers regular people didn't have. Did you think that about him, Mama? But then I thought about Ami. What saved Ami was really the rain, but it was Papa too. If it hadn't rained, he still brought the water Ami needed. The way he stopped the man from hurting us and the way he was kind to him after. Papa might be the bravest person I know. But what Papa doesn't know is that Ami is almost as brave. I'm the coward. What did I do when the man attacked me? I froze. It was Ami who yelled and alerted Papa. It was Ami who said we, they had guns. Rashid uncle lit a fire in the enormous stove and boiled a pot of lentils. Then he chopped an onion. The smell tickled my nose. I moved a little closer. So did Ami. We watched as he fried the onion in a big pan and sprinkled in some mustard, mustard seed, garlic, salt, cumin, turmeric, and chopped ginger. He stirred the spices for another minute and poured in the boiled lentils. You don't have a cook? Ami asked uncle. I knew it was a rude question, but a big house needs a cook and a gardener and someone to tend to the housework. Rashid uncle didn't do all that by himself, did he? He looked up and shrugged, then went back to his stirring. Watching Rashid uncle stir the steamy doll sent me spinning back to Kazi cooking in our kitchen. Back to Dottie doing her normal caring for the house, rocking in her chair. Back to Papa coming home from the hospital, kissing our foreheads goodnight. 
back to me and Ami falling asleep with a taste of sweets on our tongues and thoughts of the things that happened at school that day. It had all been so ordinary, even boring, and now it seemed like a fairy tale. Tears started to fall. I couldn't help it. I put my face in my hands to cover them. Nish, Ami said. What is it? I just shook my head. Rashid Uncle, can he stir? Can she stir? Ami asked. Rashid Uncle stopped and turned. I forced myself not to look down, and he held out the spoon. I blinked my tears away, stuck the spoon in the pot, and leaned over the warm yellow doll. I stirred it so it wouldn't stick to the bottom. My body began to relax, and I stirred some more. Ami knew me so well. All this time, I thought he was just jumping around our house, trying to get out of chores and schoolwork, just so he could play in the garden or draw. But now I see how closely he's watched me, how well he knows me, how much he has inside him. We stood there quietly for several minutes before Papa came over. I heard his footsteps stop, and he watched me. After the doll was done, I put it aside. Rashid Uncle opened up a pantry door and scooped some rice from a metal canister. He gave it to me, and I poured it in the right amount for five people. I watched his face. This time, it was a little easier to look at him than it was a minute before. minutes before. I stayed focused on his eyes. He took out a metal cup filled with water from a large jug to pour in the pot. He handed it to me, and I poured. We put in four cups and waited for the water to boil. Kazi always boiled the water first before putting the rice in, but I didn't say anything. Rashid Uncle didn't seem like the most experienced cook. He chopped the onions every which way and didn't mince the ginger anywhere near as fine as Kazi would have. Maybe he had a cook who had to leave, a Hindu cook. My hunger started to make me dizzy. It hurt not to bring spoonful after spoonful into my mouth. When it was done, Rashid Uncle took five bowls and spooned rice and dal into four of them, and then one with just rice. He unwrapped four chapitas from a cloth and warmed them on the stove. He stuck them in the sides of the bowl. I looked at the bowls filled to the top with golden dal and rice and toasted chapita sitting in the corner. It was the most food I had seen since we left home. I wondered if he always had such simple meals, but nothing had seemed so perfect to me. Take this to daddy, Papa said to me, and handed me the plain bowl of rice. I nodded and swallowed the saliva collecting in my hungry mouth, cradling the warm bowl in my hands, and snuck a large pinch of rice. The sounds of chairs moving and the bowls being set down on the table startled me as I went into the other room. It was still strange to be inside, sitting at a proper dining room table for dinner. Dottie had her eyes closed. I spoke her name and asked her to eat. Nothing happened. I put the rice under her nose and waited. After a few seconds, she opened her eyes and gave me a crooked nod. Then she waved me away. I looked in her face. It was drawn and dull. I will feed you, I said. So she stayed still. So I scooped up a bit of rice into my hand and pressed it to her lips. She took it and chewed. We did this a few more times. Then she put her hand up for me to stop. Good girl, she whispered. I put my hand over hers and held it there. After a minute, I left the bowl of rice next to her and went to the other room. Ami, Papa, and Rashid Uncle had waited for me to eat. It must have been so hard for Ami and even Papa to do that. I sat down next to Ami across from Papa. Then I ate. The rice, the dal, the chapitas exploded with flavor. I could taste the rich ghee, each grain of rice, each speck of cumin, a tang of ginger, garlic, onion. It was the best food I had ever eaten in my life. No one spoke. After several large bites, I looked up at Papa and Ami, scooping up food with their chapitas fast and greedy. When we finished, there was enough for us to have seconds. After the silent meal, Papa put his hand on Rashid Uncle's shoulder. I will never be able to repay the kindness you have shown us. Rashid Uncle nodded and quickly started to clear the table. We helped him clean the pots and dishes, and then we were each able to shower. It took me a long time to get clean. I watched the brown water run down the drain and was afraid to use it all up. I didn't know I could even get so dirty. 
Ami and I asked to share the middle room. Papa slept in Dottie's to keep an eye on her. We got into bed and covered ourselves in our mosquito nets, feeling clean and new. Ami wondered if we could hide here until the fighting went away and then live here forever. I hope so more than I hope so more than anything. If any new home could make sense to me, this would be it. Then Kazi could come and live here eventually. Can I send that wish to you, Mama? Is this the bed you slept in? One more thing. Please watch over Dottie. I can't lose her right now. Love, Nisha. September 1st, 1947. Dear Mama, it is a new month and exactly 17 days since the world changed. Is there another family living in our house yet? A happier family? Do they have more children with a mother and a father? I won't let myself think our house burning to the ground or of Kazi sad and lonely. I try to think of everything alive, the garden colorful and bursting with vegetables, better than we were when we were there. I think of more children running around, four, two boys and two girls, a mother calling them in for supper, checking to make sure their nails are clean, hugging them for no reason. I see a father coming home early, surprising everyone with rock candy sticks from the market, telling heroic stories from the hospital every night before bed. I think of the littlest girl finding D, my old doll, in the closet. It's the best surprise she ever got. Love, Nisha. September 2nd, 1947. Dear Mama, Papa says Rashid Uncle's house is a bit over halfway to the border. We still have many miles to go. When I ask Papa when we're leaving, he says soon, but he wants Dottie stronger before we do. I want to stay, but I'm also starting to feel trapped. We're not allowed to go outside. We are not supposed to be here, and I don't know what would happen if someone found out. Both Ami and I have heard Papa and Dottie talk about what they've read in the papers. I know lots of people have died walking and on the trains in both directions. The riots and killings keep happening. I still don't understand. We were all part of the same country last month. All these different people and religions living together. Now we are supposed to separate and hate one another. Does Papa secretly hate Rashid Uncle? Does Rashid Uncle secretly hate us? Where do Ami and I fit into all this hate? Can you hate half of a person? Rashid Uncle moves around the house so quietly. I worry that he's angry and wishes we weren't here. He gets food for us at the market and brings water from the well. I heard Papa ask him to go to two different markets so that it won't look like more people are staying here. He nodded. Then Papa tried to give him money, but he wouldn't take it. I hope that means he wants to help us. Ami and I play guessing games, and I make up little stories and dances to keep ourselves busy. In the stories, I always start with a girl or a boy, and he or she is running from something like a man with a gun or a knife or a big fiery torch. I say something bad that happens to the character, and Ami says something good. Then I say something bad, or we do it opposite way. At the end, the character always dies. We try to make the death worse every time. The worse the death, the funnier we find the story. We try to laugh quietly, which makes it even funnier. We would have never made up stories like this before, and when we would have never found them funny. Ami says it's because nothing's real right now. I know what he means. Meals are my favorite time because I help Rashid Uncle cook. I just started doing it for the first night and no one has told me to stop. We make simple things, dal, rice, spinach cooked with tomatoes, chapatis. I do most of it. I still wonder if uncle always ate in the simplest way. He makes sure I have the right bowls, the proper amount of rice, but seems happy for me to cook. I made the same things I watched Kazi cook all my life, but cooking with Rashid uncle is nothing like cooking with Kazi. He doesn't look at me and he can't talk to me, so it's silent. I want to ask him so many questions about you, Mama, but I'm too afraid. 
Not being able to ask him questions pains me in a new way. It's like I'm sick with all the words I hold on to and can't say. When Papa talks to Uncle, he writes back quickly and doesn't seem annoyed. Ami and Daddy talk to him, too, sometimes. I noticed there was something familiar about Rashid Uncle, his movements, his bent head, the way he holds his shoulders, but I couldn't place it. Then I noticed the way he took a bowl from the table and circled it carefully with his long fingers. It reminded me of myself. So maybe he's like you, Mama, which means you and I are alike. I want to tell him this, yet he can't. Yet I can't. I've looked through the house to try to find some signs of you, maybe a piece of jewelry or a scarf, but I don't even know what I'm looking for. How did I get to be this way? I'm just like Rashid Uncle, born with a defect that makes it hard to speak, even impossible, except that you can't see mine. Or maybe it's my fault. I'm not just strong. I'm just not strong enough. If we leave here, I may never see Rashid Uncle again. It is my only chance to find out more about you, and I can't say one word to him. Ami talks to Rashid Uncle, but Rashid Uncle only nods or writes down a word or two. He seems more comfortable with Papa, but maybe Ami won't mind asking some questions for me. I wish we could go outside and play, but then my mind wouldn't have so much time to think about that ba the bad things. The good thing is that Dottie seems to have gained some strength from the food and rest. She still sleeps a lot, but spends time awake praying and singing her song softly. She's eating more. She stayed up with Papa tonight after dinner in the sitting room. Ami and I lay on the couch, and I read some squirp, some read him the scorpion section of the encyclopedia. Rashid Uncle sat at the dining room table and carved some wood. It made me feel like we were all lived here in this house our whole lives, and nothing was wrong at all. When Rashid Uncle comes home after working at his furniture business and going to the market, he sits at the table and carves. He's working on a small bull and a horse. I secretly watch him. Maybe Uncle will teach us how to carve. He seems to have magical fingers. He makes all the ridges and bumps look so smooth, like they were never even there. Love, Nisha. September 3rd, 1947. Dear Mama, today I saw something. It was a normal thing to see, but to me, I thought I might be dreaming. That's what Ami means about things not feeling right. A regular person can seem like a vision. I was looking out the window. There is a house, maybe 100 feet away. Our bedroom window looks toward the other house's back patio and garden. I was watching a dry leaf swirl and twist in the wind, and then she suddenly appeared. Why hadn't I noticed her before? I closed my eyes for a second, wondering if she would be there when I opened them. She remained, even clearer than before, with a glistening black braid down her back, simply playing, not running or hiding, just being. I turned quickly to tell Ami and saw him drawing on some newspaper advertisements that Dottie gave him. He sat on the floor, cross-legged, his back to me, hunched over his work, and I decided to keep watching without saying a word. The girl lay sticks on the ground in circles. Then she stood and tossed pebbles into them. I squinted and watched her more. She spun around, smiled, and moved her mouth like she was talking to herself until I was, she was called in, probably by her mother. It was hard to tell, but she looked about my age, maybe a little younger. Does she not have siblings? I never knew anyone who didn't, and I wonder if something bad happened to them. As I watched her play, I felt the urge to climb out the window and join her. The desire felt so strong I had to grip the windowsill to keep me in place. She disappeared as quickly as she appeared. If I were allowed to play with her, I would talk to her. I promised Mama I wouldn't waste it. It's like the rules are different now. I wonder what would happen if she saw me. Love, Nisha. September 4th, 1947. Dear Mama, I didn't see the girl today. 
I probably imagined her or maybe I just dreamed of her and my memory is all mixed up, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. Rashid Uncle stayed out most of the day, then carved wood outside under a tree. I really want to be friendly with him so I can find out more about you, but he doesn't even seem to want to be with us. All Papa and Dottie do is read the papers, discuss things in whispers, and drink cup after cup of watery tea. Rashid Uncle brings back food, which is the most exciting part of the day. I try to read the papers, but Papa and Dottie don't let us. I manage to sneak looks at the headlines. Sometimes I see a string of words. India-Pakistan officials discuss new potential violence, or communal strife continues, or Gandhi fast for peace. Then they shoo me away. Papa did talk a little about Gandhi's fast. He told us Gandhi said he wouldn't eat until people stopped fighting. Maybe it will work. Maybe tomorrow will be the day we taste true freedom. At night, they take the papers to bed with them and hide them under their mattresses to have Rashid Uncle put them outside. Why don't we, they want me to see what I already know now? That the world is broken. Love, Nisha.